On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. Let me start off today with some of the headlines uh, from the front pages of the Sunday newspapers, starting today with the Sunday Independent, who have an opinion poll which says prospects for Sinn Féin FF coalition boosted by the latest poll. Strong indications that Sinn Féin voters would be open to a deal with Fianna Fáil. They also have a magnificent picture of four intrepid travellers who are weathering the storms down at the All Together Festival. Um, And then we're turning to the Sunday Business Post, whose headline is Air Rage. The DAA goes to court. Dublin Airport operator to seek an injunction over onerous flight cap. And that's an issue that, as I say, we're going to be dealing with extensively in the second part of the show. I'll have somebody from Ryanair in here. So if you have any thoughts or comments on that, please do text in. The Sunday Times then, their front page lead story is Sligo Killer had hit list of targets found on Grinder Gardaí, warned service users before Palani arrest. And then finally, the Daily, the Mail on Sunday even, fury over RT Chief's snub to Watchdog. This is a story about Kevin Backhurst writing to the various committees about the responses on their requests for further information. And that's just uh, an overview of of what is on those Sunday newspapers today. And I'm delighted now to be joined in studio to help me go through all of those newspapers by Aileen Hickey, who's barrister and CEO of Parentline, and also Hugh O'Connell, who's deputy political editor at the Irish and Sunday Independent. You're both very welcome and thank you very much for coming in on this Bank Holiday Weekend. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you. Now, Hugh, I'm going to start off with you. Um, That poll that you have in the Sunday Independent Day, lots and lots in it. But I would, I suppose, like to start off with that headline. Uh, What is the poll top line telling us? Well, what we think is the most interesting finding is a question that we haven't asked before um, in the Ireland Think series with the the Sunday Independent. And that's um, around uh, the possibilities or the the, the, uh, possible next governments, uh, next government rather. Um, so we usually ask in a forced choice which of the following would be your preferred government, either the current coalition or a Sinn Féin-led government that excludes Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Uh, and that, this month that uh, threw up the results of 43% saying a Sinn Féin-led government excluding Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, which is up two, and uh, 39% for a Fine Gael-led, or sorry, a Fine Gael-Fianna Fáil Green Party government, the re-election of the current coalition. So that's no change there. So a, a slight increase in support for the Sinn Féin-led option. But... We asked another question, uh, which, as I said, we haven't asked before, which is, that, uh, in a forced choice, would you prefer the current the re-election of the current coalition, uh, 36% said uh, yes to that, or a Sinn Féin Fianna Fáil coalition, to which 39% uh, replied in the affirmative, 25% said, I'm not sure. So I suppose what's interesting is that it's a three-point gap, it's a small gap, but nonetheless, the, the option of a, a Sinn Féin Fianna Fáil coalition, which when you look at the uh, the poll results and the numbers of Dáil seats that they would translate into, is really the only uh, viable coalition alternative at this stage uh, to the current government. Uh, that option seems to be reasonably popular with voters. And then if you take the state of the parties, uh, Sinn Féin is up three points to 34%. Fianna Fáil is down one to 18%, but you combine their two, uh, their numbers, and you get over 50%. So you get a government that way. And we know that Micheál Martin, the Tónishta, has opened the door to 
a coalition between uh, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. Now, he has highlighted several problems that he has with Sinn Féin, long-standing problems he has with Sinn Féin, but he has certainly been softer on the idea of a coalition with Sinn Féin than he had been previously. And indeed, some, but by no means all, uh, TDs and senators in Fianna Fáil are also open to the possibility of, of a coalition with Sinn Féin after the next election. Um, the likelihood is, on current numbers, that, that Fianna Fáil would be the junior partner in that coalition. Um, but it, but it's an option that, that that seems to be opening up now, um, and certainly the poll results would indicate that the, you know the voter preference for it is is or voter, uh, I, I suppose enthusiasm for it is is reasonably high at this mm. point in the cycle. One of the things that you mentioned um, in the articles today is toxicity, mm. and this is in relation to transferability of votes. Mm. Uh, you might just explain exactly what that is, yeah. and, and also how how and why that's important at this particular juncture in the election cycle. Well, uh, as we know, our electoral system is is. Uh, you know, heavily dependent on transfers and, and parties uh, and candidates getting second and third and fourth preferences helps them in terms of trying to, to get elected. Um, but we asked uh, we asked this question in June and, and we've asked it again today for, for the August series. Are there any parties that you would exclude from your voting preference in the upcoming election? Now, when we polled this question in June, the Green Party was at, came out on top in terms of nearly half of voters wouldn't give any preference to the Green Party candidate uh, on the ballot paper in the next general election. The Greens are still the highest, 48%, no change. But Sinn Féin's transfer toxicity, which historically it has always been transfer toxic because there's just an, an awful lot of people in this country would never uh, never have considered voting Sinn Féin because of its, its past associations with violence through the, the provisional IRA. Um, but Sinn Féin is down four points uh, in that uh, on that question to forty two percent. So, so it's, they're becoming more acceptable. They're becoming slightly less transfer toxic. Yeah, and more and transfer you, friendly. More transfer friendly. Yeah, and when you look at uh, the the other main parties, Fine Gael forty percent up one, Fianna Fáil thirty five percent down two. So, you know the 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 two main coalition parties and indeed sorry the the three coalition parties uh, pr pretty transfer toxic. Uh, but Sinn Féin slightly less so, I suppose. Um, and that's that's interesting in the context of ultimately people's second and third preferences are going to count uh, a lot in the election, as they always do. Absolutely. We'll come back to that in a second. Aileen, I might bring you in here. Just you mentioned there that the Greens were by far the most uh, transfer toxic, if, if we use that term. Uh, I know you've been looking at another article which Jodie Corcoran wrote in relation to the poll about the here and now. Are you surprised by how toxic uh, the Greens are at the moment, given everything that's going on around climate change and climate action. Well, very surprised because, I mean, it would seem that the two biggest concerns that the public have at the moment are climate change and crime. Uh, so I think, you know, 16% identified climate change as one of their two most important issues. And I think something like 54% have identified climate change as, uh, you know, a major issue, uh, something that they feel that the government isn't doing enough uh, to tackle. Um, now, that there is a rise in Green Party support to 5%. Um, which I think is the biggest rise since 2021. Yeah, that's that right. right yeah, it's yeah. Their, their highest number. Yeah, since so I mean, you know, yeah. this, so uh, you know, that they, they certainly have 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 taken a bit of a leap there. But you know, I suppose it's not surprising. You know, considering that the month mm. of July has been the wettest on record, that climate change would be to the forefront of people's minds. I think it's interesting again, and I suppose it, it, it reflects, you know, what what we've seen in the past is that younger people are far more worried. According to this Ireland Thinks Sunday Independent poll, young people are far more worried. 
uh, are more likely to be worried um, with 52% aged between 18 and 24. Um, and that, that drops as, as you know, as uh, in terms of the, the increased age ranges. People in Dublin seem to be more likely to be worried as compared to those in Connacht and Ulster. Um, but certainly, you know, it, 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 you know, as I say, you know, it, it's not surprising. I mean, we, again, we've seen this weekend with, you know, flooding in numerous places around the country and people without electricity and, you know, tourism suffering, businesses suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and Hugh, um, when we look at um, that rural urban divide, we're often in a discussion about the Greens in terms of what's access, acceptable politically mm-hmm. down the country just doesn't Sorry, what's accessible in urban areas just it just doesn't work for rural voters. Yeah, that, that's true. But but that that go back to that transfer toxicity question. Like the Greens are unpopular in Dublin as well, and I, I suspect that's around things like the Bus Connects projects, for example, which are uh, in in some uh, particularly affluent uh, urban uh, urban areas and suburbs are, is not a particularly uh, welcome project because it impinges on people's front gardens and stuff. Um, but. Uh, Kevin Cunningham has an interesting mm-hmm. uh, piece today in the Sunday Independent going through the the, the, the climate, um, the, the, the the figures that we have on, on climate uh, action and, and climate change and, and the levels of public um, concern about it. And one of the points he makes is that there has been a, almost a kind of a decoupling, notwithstanding the fact the Greens have gone up in this month's poll, there has been a decoupling, I think, over recent months, uh, recent years of mm-hmm. support for the Green Party and concern about climate change because people's concern about climate change has year on year grown uh, when you go back to 2016, people are more concerned now than they were in 2016. But the Green Party's level of support has obviously been falling back uh, considerably. But you, you could see, and this could be the first signs of a resurgence for the Green Party in light of the extreme weather events that have been happening, not just in this country, the very wet July, but I mean, you know, a lot of Irish holidaymakers were affected by what went on on, on the continent as well, the extreme temperatures there. So, I, you know, it, it'll, it's good news, I think. And even if you take the personal approval ratings, Eamon Ryan, the Green Party mm. leader, the the least popular of all the, the main party leaders, his uh, approval rating up two points to 22%. So there's some encouraging news there politically for the Greens in, in the run-up to the local and European elections next year. Well, let's just take a quick look at the party leaders, as mm. you've mentioned them there. Um, Micheál Martin, Aileen, talking in the Sunday Times today to, to Claire Scott. She has an article saying Martin rules out EU move before the general election campaign. So this is him saying that, look, my priorities are here. They're Fianna Fáil. And uh, he's also, as Hugh has said, softened his tone in relation to Sinn Féin. Uh, He doesn't give the impression that he's a man going anywhere to Europe, does he, despite all this speculation? No, I mean, he, well, he's certainly portraying that I'm, you know, I, I'm here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for Ireland. I'm, you know, I've, there's no future move to the, to to the EU. So, I mean, I suppose he would be saying that, considering that there's likely to be a general election called towards the end of 2023 or you know, in 2024. Um, so, you know, he's certainly putting out his calling card that, you know, for the moment he wants to remain in place. And I think he certainly does seem to be softening towards a coalition with Sinn Féin. Yeah. And in light, I suppose, of the of this uh, Ireland thinks on the independent poll, he would be correct in putting out that image. I mean, I, th- I, I just one point I'd make about Michael Martin. I mean, he has this enduring popularity, like mm. he has been consistently, uh, he's kind of swapped places once or twice with Holly Kearns, the Social Democrats leader, and, and Mary Lou Macdonald uh, a, a little while ago. But he's consistently you know, the most or one of the most popular political party leaders in the country. And that's extraordinary when you think about it for someone who has been the leader of Fianna Fáil for uh, 13 years now, 12, 13 years, um, who has been 
uh, in the front line of politics, cabinet minister going back to the late 90s. Yeah, he, he, like, it I mean, is extraordinary, it isn't is, it? It is, yeah. And he's got this new podcast out. He just yeah. kind of gives this air of somebody who's kind of, I don't know, graduated from college and he's wait, he's <laughs> awaiting his first job. He just has But I think he's yeah. also seen to be very hardworking, yeah. and, you know, and, and, you know, he's on the ground. You know, he seems to be always there mm. and a presence when he's needed. And, you know, and, and I think he's seen you know, generally, you know, and not just in, in Munster to be very much a man of the people and, you know, they, they, they seem to... Uh, innate you know, decency about yeah, it. Yeah, innate decency, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. the problem for him is, though, none of this is really translating to the party and Fianna Fáil are not benefiting yeah. from it. Well, that's, yeah. that's what worries people in Fianna Fáil is that, OK, great, their leader's popular, but there's no... trans and. Fianna Fáil TDs have said this to me, this doesn't translate into, into greater support levels for for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil candidates and TDs. So that that's going to be the problem. Mm. But as long as Michal Martin sees numbers like this for his own personal approval rating, I think he, he would be minded to stick around rather than to, uh, you know, head to Brussels next mm. year. Yeah, well, we'll have to watch what happens within the Fianna Fáil party as the local elections and general elections become, uh, get closer, mm. their seats become more of an issue. And if that's not transferring, well, that's another day's work. But I want to turn to Leo. Um Hugh, in a piece that you wrote, you mentioned that Leo Varadkar is not going to be happy with these results, but Fine Gael haven't gone backwards. So no. why do you say that? Why do you say it's bad well, for him? I, I mean, I think if you contrast the leaders of Sinn Féin and, and Fine Gael this, this, say, last month or even this, just this last week, Mary Lou MacDonald has been sort of out of action because she uh, underwent a, a medical procedure at the end of June. And she said she'd be taking a few weeks off to recover. And we haven't heard anything really from her since then. Uh, which is absolutely fair enough, and it's the summer month. It's the, the summer months, rather. It's the dull recess, uh, but she's been out of the limelight. Um, uh, whereas Leo Varadkar has been everywhere, but particularly in the last week, he did an interview on this station with Pat Kenny earlier in the week. He's done a couple of newspaper interviews. He's been travelling around the country. He's been doing uh, doorsteps, press conferences. He's been talking a lot, I think, about his priorities for the remainder of this government's term, and in particular, Fine Gael's priorities. Um, but that hasn't translated into any uptick in support for Fine Gael. Um, it hasn't really moved the dial. I mean, his his party's approve or his party's uh, poll rating is unchanged, nineteen percent. Uh, his own personal approval rating unchanged at thirty seven percent behind uh, Mary Lou Macdonald, Holly Kearns, and Micheál Martin. So, I think that will be of concern to people in Fine Gael um, because they, you know, his actions have not moved the dial for the party. And I think that you know, the longer this kind of uh, sort of they're, they're almost be calmed in the polls and the longer that that goes on I mean he's Taoiseach now eight months um, it, it hasn't really changed the level of support for Fine Gael I think that might have been anticipated by people in the party and yeah. in the run up to the local European elections that would be problematic I think for him Aileen just to, to pick up on Leo and his leadership and his style of leadership just listening to Hugh there um he seems to be doing all he can to try and boost Fine Gael in the polls just before he heads off on what is a well-deserved break for a lot of these politicians. I know there's not a lot of sympathy for them, but they do work really, really hard. Um, just from your perspective, Aileen, looking at Leo Varadkar in particular, do you think his style of leadership, which was such an asset to the party uh, when he came into politics, is still a big asset for Fine Gael? Is he the best that they have? Well, I think currently he would seem to be the best that they have, you know, and again, I mean, you know, at 19 percent, I mean, you know, there's still, you know, the second biggest party in the country, according, you know, you know, if this poll is to go by. I mean, I actually I thought one of the interesting things in the poll was that one of the concerns would be that if Shane Fein did get into power, 
the fears of a Sinn Féin justice minister getting into power. That so is, I thought that was an interesting mm. thing to pick up on. So that, you know, so that that belies everything else that's being said about Sinn Féin's popularity is that the general public wouldn't be comfortable with having a Sinn Féin Minister yeah. for Justice. So it's nearly half of voters yeah. said that 47% said that they would be concerned by Sinn Féin, uh, by a Sinn Féin justice minister. Um, I think 37% or thereabouts would not be concerned or 39% potentially mm. and the rest unsure. Um, so there's a couple of ways to look at this, mm. I suppose, but but the, the headline figure is, is the 47%. And then when you drill into the uh, voters for each party, Fianna Fáil voters, Fianna Gael voters, very concerned about this, more than 80%. Mm -hmm. But even uh, you know, Labour and the Green Party, high levels of concern amongst their voters about this, their potential coalition partners for Sinn Féin. Mm. As Social Democrats, I think a third of their supporters, more than a third of their supporters, would be concerned about um, a Sinn Féin justice minister. Mm. That's not it, it, that the result isn't necessarily surprising. Sinn Féin has a, a checkered history uh, with mm. with Shikona, you know. But I suppose also, you know, I suppose coming out of that is that you know I think mm. you know I mean Helen McEntee has you know been touted as potentially. Uh, you know, a, a Fine Gael leader. Yeah. So, and again, you know... Yeah, and the justice portfolio is going to be huge, absolutely. as we see yeah. in the yeah. poll. It's one yeah, of the biggest... Yeah, and it seems to be the portfolio that people... You know, even Simon Harris, when he had that portfolio for the six months of Helen McAtee's yeah. maternity leave, you know, he certainly used that on his calling card. Just, just going back to what we discussed earlier about Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil TDs and Senators, whom I've spoken to about this issue of, you know, what could you do a deal with Sinn Féin? Like they kind of said, one of the red lines would have to be that there would have to be a Fianna Fáil justice and defence minister. Yeah. They don't feel Sinn Féin could be trusted with the justice and defence portfolios. Mm. Now Sinn Féin wouldn't like to hear that, mm. and they wouldn't necessarily concede those portfolios very easily. But it is it is interesting that that's kind of stuff yeah. that's been talked about already. In, in okay, Hugh. Before we finish out in this section, I just want to ask you very briefly because time is running out on us. Um, we haven't even talked about the budget. We haven't mm. talked about the economy. But just can you give us a sense of how important uh, the next couple of months is for these leaders, for Mary Lou Macdonald, for, for Michael Martin, for Leo Varadkar? We've got the party thinkings, the budget, the local elections. Yeah, like I, I think everything that's going to happen in, in the next six months is going to be with a, with a mind to those local and European elections. So the government's going to want to do a budget that's going to be popular that's going to give away uh, as much as they, they feel is prudent to give away to the general public in terms of cost of living support. So things like uh, increased welfare payments, increased social supports, uh, help for lower income families, energy credits, these kinds of things will all come into the mix. And I, I think they'll want to kind of slow play the release of these uh, funds into people's pockets so that they kind of potentially uh, land in people's bank accounts or pockets in the run up to the, the local and European elections. And for Sinn Féin, really, it'll be about hammering the issues on, on mortgage interest relief is going to be a big issue, I think, going into um, into the budget negotiations and housing, of course, obviously, is going, is going to be a mega issue. So I, I think Sinn Féin will look to play up those issues and talk about those issues and you know, highlight the concerns that voters have ahead of the local and European elections. Yeah, I also see a piece by John Drennan in the Mail on Sunday saying McGrath won't splash the cash. I'm not entirely convinced that that might be I, true. I think they'll find a bit of money to splash. They might find a bit Probably of money to splash around. Mm. Yeah. Um, look, at, uh, no doubt about it, it's going to be a very interesting couple of months and you're going to be a very busy man, Hugh O'Connell. Uh, now, we're going to have to take a short break right now, but Aileen and Hugh are going to be staying with me. We'll be right back after this short break. Oh, you're welcome back. I'm Mandy Johnston, standing in for Gavin Riley this morning. I'm joined by my newspaper panellist this week, Hugh O'Connell of the Sunday Independent and Aileen Hickey, barrister and CEO of Parentline. Now, Aileen, you've been looking at the front page of the Irish Mail on Sunday for us. Fury 
over Archie Chief's snub to watchdog. Take us through what it says. Yeah, so it's a story by John Drennan. Um, so it looks like uh, two of the Doyle Committee heads, the, 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 the committees being the Public Accounts Committee and the Oireachtas Media Committee, um, are jumping up and down and being very, extremely critical of the new RTE uh, Director General, Kevin Backhurst, because he has written to them to say that he won't be meeting the deadlines they put in place for the information sought um, on a number of inquiries into, into RTE. So he's saying that he won't have the documentation they're looking for until October at the earliest. They're saying this is a direct snub to, to the committees and I suppose to the general public and that obviously it's, it's not kind of giving any confidence into RTE. The, 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 I think the information being sought uh, is on four different issues, which is the uh, payments made to the former Late Late Show host Ryan Tuberty between 2017 and 2019, investigations into the debacle that was the Toy Show musical, um, the voluntary exit schemes that were in place in 2017 and 2021, and the infamous uh, and one of our favourite words at the moment, Barter account, yeah. um, uh, information and all that. Now, Kevin Backrest, I think, is saying that he won't have that information because the amount of information being sought would is would, would involve hundreds of documents and he wants to be as transparent as possible. But I suppose this isn't the way maybe to, to, to show confidence and to inspire um, you know, to inspire confidence and to show the transparency that yeah, they're looking for. I mean, you know, I, it's understandable that he's trying to justify the delay. It's just, you know, that that is it's a refusal that is seen as as a, as a direct snub, um, and you know, kicking the can down the road isn't helping. I think you might bring in here Neve Smith of the Media Committee Chair, um, saying that this is just unacceptable. Do you, this is essentially, as Aileen said, trying to kick the can down the road till October. Do you think they'll get away with it? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think they, um, I think they're going to come under a lot of pressure now. I mean, you, you can see the two committee chairs are, are pretty vocal about it today, um, and I think you know even during the week you had uh, Fine Gael TD Alan Dillon and a number of Fine Gael TDs and a few four TDs on, on the media committee um, g- giving out about Ortiz um, d- delaying tactics as they as they see them on, see see them on this issue. So, I think. Um, I think they'll get away with it because it is August. Um, mm. But I think when we get into September uh, and the, the doll is back and the committees are back meeting again, you're going to get pressure for, for ORT to start uh, providing documentation mm. and providing the sorts of reports that they, they did pledge they would uh, undertake. And certainly I think um, one of the the, the outstanding issues ORT is facing, uh, is facing at the moment is this issue of the uh, payments to Ryan Tuberty or alleged payments to Ryan Tuberty mm. between 2017 and 2019, uh, about which there's been a lot of confusion. There's 120,000 euro uh, that he was, first of all, or he said that he was paid that hadn't been disclosed publicly. Then it emerged that he was, this was potentially a loyalty bonus that he hadn't taken and that it was just an accounting error. It was a whole mess there that so hasn't confusing. been properly explained. No. No, and and a report from Grant Thornton, which a lot of people in the government who I spoke to at the, at the height of this controversy were be- believed would be uh, imminent and, and was imminent and still hasn't emerged. Um, so, But but I think is is pretty close to, to completion. I, I wrote last week a story about how uh, elements of the report had been sent to people who were mentioned in it as part of fair procedures. So we could get that report in the next few weeks. Mm. Um, but I think in, in the quiet summer months, it's always a, a dangerous time uh, for any any politician, but but in, in this case for, for OCE because they're I, But I think also as well, there's probably the, the fear factor, you know, the, from those committees and from, from the chairs of those committees that they mm. will receive huge tranches of documentation, yeah. you know, on the morning of the hearing as, yeah. as has happened previously. I mean, I think one of the things that in Kevin Backhurst's 
defence would be that Orti, right through this controversy, has been accused of kind of a drip feed mm. of information and of, of incomplete information and, and all. And the 120,000 euros is a prime example of that. Backhurst would, would reasonably make the argument that it's better to have the full facts to hand. Mm. And that takes time, he would argue, uh, which is why we won't see some of these reports un until October. Mm. But... Um, We'll, we'll see. Well, cynics might say he's also trying to avoid the silly season and hearing yeah. from committees. But anyway, look, I suppose you're right. If we're looking for full transparency, maybe people should be afforded the time so that we can actually get the proper answers. Just what, before I leave this subject very quickly, um, in the poll today in the Sunday Independent, mm. Aileen, it said about uh, Ryan Tuberty returning. Like, this is another example of what Jodie Corkham was talking about. People, you know, make their responses based on the issues that are in the news now. There's only 32% of people had no interest in whether uh, Ryan Tuberty comes back or not. So that strong feeling that you might have had a month ago is gone. Mm. Um, what do you think is going to happen there? How do you think that's going to play out for him? Well, I think the, the view seems to be more and more that he probably will be back. Um, and certainly there seems to have been a thawing um, you know, from from the public and even from RTE staff uh, mm. in relation to his potential comeback. You know, you know that I think it it, it looks like that there was maybe forty seven percent at the peak who didn't want him back, and that figure has now dropped in in the Ireland Thinks poll to thirty eight percent. You know, so I think it, it's summer thawing. I think there's a lingering resentment from a lot of yeah. um, RTE staff and from the public still. It, you know, it certainly won't be an easy comeback. I think they're saying that if he does come back, it will be a different format of a program. It might it'll probably be fluffier. There won't be the same production team. Um, you know, he, he certainly won't be asking any serious questions, I think, in the foreseeable future. Um, and uh, but but you know yeah. again you know judging that you know it is only you know the significant um, decline in the numbers who don't want him back over the course of the, of the next month by October you know or by September judging if the, if the numbers keep falling you yeah. know he, he might be fine yeah Neve mm. Horan writing about that yeah. in the Sunday Independent today I want to move on guys because there's a, an awful lot that we've got to get through in the papers today one of the issues that is across all of the newspapers and we've heard it in the news all week is about crime and not just crime but also the numbers within Angara the Siakana um, Helen McEntee her performance so let's get stuck into that if we if we can please you I'm going to start with you on Helen McEntee because you have an article saying that she's feeling the heat with 86 per 86 excuse me percent of people saying that policing levels just aren't enough so there's that real feeling there that there's not enough guardian on the Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I think that's that's a manifestation of the fact that crime has been in the news a lot the last couple of weeks, um, particularly that awful attack on, on Stephen Termini, the US tourist on uh, on mm. Talbot Street in, at the uh, towards the end of July. Um, and then there was this much criticised uh, photo opportunity that yeah. Helen McEntee partook in on, on Store Street uh, or at Store Street Garda Station and in the kind of Talbot Street, Store Street area uh, a, a few days after that. Um, and look, certainly it's the case that and an allied to that is, is, is the um, Garda Representative Association tabling this unprecedented motion of no confidence in the Commissioner, Drew Harris. So all of this is creating a perfect storm, really, for, for Helen McEntee uh, and for the Garda Commissioner as well. Um, but the biggest issue is is recruitment of Garda. We can't get enough. Like the, the government has an ambition, I think, to get a thousand Garda, extra Garda this year. Um, they're probably only going to land at about 800. Uh, eight out of ten ain't bad, they might say, but but equally it's it's a problem. I think when you have people leaving the force as well, 
um, you know, the Guardi are suffering from the same problems that other areas are, are suffering from in the public service defence forces as well. It's it's the con- paying conditions um, are the issue mm-hmm. and paying conditions in the context of an in, uh, a rising cost of living, uh, everyone, you know, the, the struggle to get housing. Um, all of these problems that that people who don't work in the in the public sector face, uh, you know, are, are applied to, to people who work in in the public sector as well or w- want to get into the public sector. The Gardaí is not as an attractive career as it once was. That's no. that's the big problem. Yeah, yeah. And Conor Brady making that point in the Sunday Times: the inability, as I say, to attract young people will ultimately become a political problem. Aileen, when you're looking at the crime issue and the Gardaí issue across newspapers, what do you make of it? Well, I mean, I suppose, first of all, I mean, you know, that the, the what Helen McEntee tried to do was to show Dublin as a safe, as a safe city. Mm. And she did that by walking down a, a street. So it was a, it was a very poorly judged uh, photo opportunity, I think, in the first place, you know, and, and one most people would just see as, as you but know, why do you think that upset so many people that photo call? I know there was this issue over the, the necklace, necklace yeah, so going it was kind missing. Of, yeah, really now you see it, now you don't. Had she taken off the necklace because she felt unsafe or... Why would well, they, maybe would it was they, just an innocence? Absolutely. So know. I think there was far too much read into that. I mean, I think first of all, you know, people feel unsafe in a lot of cities and towns, and you know, rurally in Ireland. This isn't just a, an entirely Dublin-based issue. I mean, so, so you know, we are talking a lot about Dublin over the, the course of the last couple of weeks because I suppose of that attack on Stephen uh, Termini, um, and I suppose there is an issue in terms of the Gardaí in that there's fourteen thousand. Gardaí um, and I think only 3,700 of those are in Dublin but Dublin has a third of the population so there certainly seems to be a big lack of visibility mm. um, of Gardaí on the Dublin streets I mean the only time recently that I would say I saw a huge visibility was the when when Joe Biden was over I mean Good so you point. know yeah. when there was I remember I passed Portobello Bridge and there was eight Gardaí standing at Portobello Bridge and at that stage yeah. Joe Biden had already left the capital yeah. so but if you're walking down the street generally you can walk from one end of O'Connor Street to the other and not see a guard. Yeah. You know, so I think that there's a big fear, you know, that the guards aren't there, they're not present and that there is a softening on crime. Hugh, um, that's exactly the point that Will, Willie O'Dea is, is making really in relation to it's not just a Dublin problem mm. and that the solutions being put forward by um, the, the higher powers are that they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm. Um, but the numbers just don't stack up. You know, the population is growing Mm. and the number of guards is diminishing. This reminds me very much of 1997 when the economy was doing quite well. There was a a rainbow coalition and uh, crime just kind of took hold as part of the national narrative. Mm. And and actually, it was very... Nora Owen was under a lot of pressure. What do you think Helen McEntee can do now to try and kind of get her arms around this problem and convince people she's in charge and that there's yeah. it's going to get better. So, look, I mean, I think there's probably a couple of, of, of uh, not quick fixes, but certainly things that would help. So lifting the bar on over 35s joining on Garda Shikona, um, mm-hmm. l- increasing the retirement yes. age from 60, a, a major recruitment mm-hmm. campaign. I think this might already be underway or in the works, a major recruitment campaign in, in other countries, uh, particularly Australia, for example, where a lot of young Irish people have gone out to Australia for a couple of years and, and kind of attracting them home. And f- I suppose fighting in the budget negotiations for, for better paying conditions for Angarda Shikana and more resources. Now, she would argue that she has secured an unprecedented um, budget increases for uh, f- for the Department of Justice over the last three years. 
And that is true, but it's all kind of getting gobbled up by mm. inflation and, and cost of living. Um, but from a political perspective, I mean, she is under a bit of pressure from, from within government and from within her own party. And I'm writing about this today because there's a perception that she has been less focused on the law and order aspect of her job. And, and law and order is meat and drink for, for Fine Gael mm. people and Fine Gael supporters. And she's been more focused on things like um, domestic and gender-based violence, which is a law and order issue, mm -hmm. let's be honest about it. And, and you know, people, uh, Gardaí would argue that domestic violence is a bigger issue than street crime. Uh, and the, the statistics bear that out. Uh, and also this, this hate crime uh, legislation, this updated uh, hate mm -hmm. crime laws, which um, are being subject of some debate and, and controversy are winging them, their way through the Shannon at the moment. And there's a, a, a political perception among some in Fine Gael that Simon Harris was better on the law and order issues. But then, conversely, people would ask, well, what did he actually deliver in his six months in the Department of Justice? Yeah, six and months then, is a very short yeah, time to be in any government absolutely, department. Absolutely. But, but also, all of this is being viewed through the prism of uh, of, of the future Fine Gael leadership race, mm -hmm. uh, Harris and McEntee. Yeah, so it's kind of a lot of optics, intended. isn't it? I mean, I think optics you, yeah. is, is I mean, a thing. And, yeah. and, and what they would, you know, what they'll say in political circles is that Helen McEntee is, you know, kind of the workhorse, and you know that He's maybe the there was a showboating, yeah, yeah, yeah. showponing, uh, uh, you know, uh, with Simon Harris and the yeah. six months that he, you know, had that portfolio. Uh, but I, I think certainly. You know, it is it, seen that she is more focused on domestic mm. and gender-based gender-based violence, and there has been a lot of focus on that hate legislation yeah. that you mentioned there, Hugh. So, I mean, I suppose the difficulty is back to the same point that it's retention and recruitment of Gardaí yeah. that, that that's the big but issue. That, but it's, and it, and, the, and and on the retention, I think yeah. you know there are more. There was a time when if somebody joined the guards, they just didn't leave the guards, and and they had prospects. They Absolutely, felt that there was they opportunity, would have a, a, and you know we'd have seen a house. home. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's not seen like that anymore because it's, you know not, because no. it's, there there is a lack of opportunity, and you know it is low pay. No, absolutely. Um, I just want to turn, if I can, to the practical aspects of the crime element of this, without just concentrating on the politics of it, Aileen. Um, domestic violence, and you referenced this, uh, Hugh, in your article that a lot of people in Garda HQ say that domestic violence is bigger than criminal violence, but it doesn't get as much attention. Aileen, you run um, a website called parentline.ie. Um, when you are looking at a crime story like this um, in, in the political arena, um, are you kind of looking at this through the prism of maybe a parent who's giving teenagers advice on going into town? Because we were just chatting before the programme started here about when we were teenagers, we used to be allowed to come to Dublin to shop for a day up to O'Connell Street or Grafton Street. I can't imagine that happening now with ease for a parent. No, it doesn't happen with ease. And, you know, we it, uh, parent line is a helpline as well. What we would hear on the helpline from parents is, you know, a huge fear factor over letting the, that their children go into not just Dublin city centre, but other city centres, Limerick and Cork, um, because, you know, there's a fear about random attacks um, on on teenagers and there, and there have been many. Um, I suppose there's, there's the fear that there's open drug dealing on city streets, on some city streets. Um, so, you know, parents, I suppose, are, certainly feel that they have to do an awful lot more helicoptering um, because, you know, they're concerned that, that, that their children are unsafe now in you know, because of you know, the perception of crime, of increased crime mm -hmm. and, and the reality of increased crime. Did you crime. want to come in there, Hugh? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's, it, it is an issue. I mean, like ultimately, most voters and most people in the country don't, don't give a damn about the Fine Gael leadership race or the Fine Gael leadership yeah. prospects of Simon Harris or Helen McEntee, but they do care about, about crime and they do care yeah. about their safety. And whether or not crime is up statistically or yeah. not, if they don't feel safe on the streets, that's a that's a problem that 
people will inevitably turn to government and say, well, why can't you make me feel safer? Yeah. And visibility is a, is a major issue. Mm. Um, you know, no one is going to not vote for a party because there are more guards on the street. Um, they're not necessarily going to vote for a party because there are more guards on the street. But I, I think that's the big challenge for government and a big challenge operationally for the guards is to get more guardy out on the street to give that feeling, I suppose, of safety that isn't there for an awful lot of people who walk through Dublin at the moment and, and through the North Inner City in, in particular, let's be honest about it. Um, that, so so that's, a, that's a problem, I think, that, that can only be addressed by recruiting more Gardaí. I, I will actually just say, just, uh, you know, in favour of the Gardaí, I mean, w- you know, we would speak a lot with uh, juvenile liaison officers uh, you know, who would speak to our volunteers about what they do. So, you know, the Gardaí do... I suppose when 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 children are do do you know come within the boundaries of the law, the guardian handle them very well. They do try and ensure that you know that they're not being you know that suddenly it's not a life of crime that they're being led into. So you know they they, they you know there's there's a lot of programs in place by no. the guardian. Yeah to try and deter juveniles and to encourage safety. That's that's a really good point. And yeah. look, they do great work. Yeah. It's not that we're second guessing all of that. What we're simply saying is the resources sometimes just aren't there for them yeah. and that it is going to be a political issue uh, moving forward. Just some text in there. We're enjoying the newspaper review this morning. Oh, that's obviously a member of my family. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's your or guess? Mine, or <laughs> what do your guests think of Leo's statement last week ruling out a general election campaign before the coalition reaches its term in 20? 25. Uh, that's from Niall in Donegal. We might come back to that later, but for now we're going to have to leave it here. But please stay with us. Uh, I'll be back with Aileen and Hugh who's staying with me to go through more of today's Sunday newspapers. You're very welcome back. You're listening to On The Record with me, Mandy Johnston, and I'm joined in studio by Hugh O'Connell, who's Deputy Political Editor with the Irish and Sunday Independent, and Aileen Hickey, who's a barrister and CEO of Parentline. And we're going through today's Sunday newspapers and it was inevitable, but we've now finally landed on the weather. Aileen, <laughs> there's stuff all over the newspapers. You can take your pick, whether it's the Sunday Independent, Dublin Floods, Three Feet Deep, Sunday Times or Patrick Donoghue, The Wild Atlantic way a washout. What did you make of it all? Well, I mean, so yeah, well, you've just alluded there to the, to the so there's there was flooding and big flooding in Clontarf yesterday on the Castle Court estate. Um, I think there was something like eight people evacuated, and you know they they you know it was so it was a significant flood. I mean, you know, it was, um, there was there was also power shortages in Crosshaven and Carrigaline. Um, there, you know, there's there was uh, issues all over the country. I mean, so I suppose. Interestingly enough, I mean, I think what what has increased in this is apparently there's now a shortage on winter wear. So the great outdoors can't sell enough. Well, and uh, I don't have enough supply of Wellingtons and trench coats and umbrellas. Um, the festivals all over the country were a washout. I had a daughter myself who was at all together in. Waterford and she was absolutely drowned. I mean, mm. they, were, they were told to stay in their tents for long periods of time. You know, we all know it's been the wettest July on record. Um, so I suppose what, again, it's, you know, what can be done to mitigate? I mean, you, you know, obviously climate change is, is coming down the tracks. Um, but, you know, there there are things I suppose that can be done, you know, to, to, to you know, in, in terms of changing of materials of buildings and floodgates and, you know, improving floodplains. What can be done to mitigate when, because this, is going to continue into the future and we're going to have summers like this. Aileen, I wanted to ask you again back to parent line for a moment if I can. I mean, sometimes we kind of joke about the weather and the poor kids are locked up and Mm. there's nothing to do. But there are serious, you know, ramifications for a summer where parents have to mind their children. There's not a lot of activity. Um, What advice would you give to someone who just can't spend their 
uh, bank holiday weekend, going out and doing the things that you would normally do. There's actually there's actually been a spike in calls to parent line over the last couple of weeks. You know, we're, we're kind of referred to it as parental burnout. And it, mm. it, it actually it does happen, you know, during the summers annually. But it's, we have taken a significant spike in calls this year. So, you know, I think parents are the summer is a difficult time for parents because, you know, they, they, they it's suddenly parents who are working parents who had worked it all around the school hours and all the rest of it. They don't have that. So now the good thing is because of flexibility of working hours and people are working from home. We, what we're hearing is that there are a lot of people, parents, uh, a lot of partners and a lot of parents who are working different shifts so that they can be there and supervise their kids from time to time. I mean, unfortunately, it's no longer the case that you can kind of fire your children out the front door at nine o'clock in the morning and say, you know, make sure you're back in time for dinner, <laughs> you know. And you, and if you did, you would be judged for it. Now, you know, unfortunately, being a parent means that you're judged and blamed most of the time anyway. But, you know, I think, for, you know, the summer certainly is an endurance test. And when the weather is like this, it becomes a bigger endurance test. And the, the issue then for parents becomes online gaming, internet, overuse of the internet, yeah. uh, you know, and fears about screen time. Yeah, um, I might bring you in here, Hugh. I know you have a young daughter. She's only three years of age. So Nearly three, yeah. Not yeah, an issue. That, yeah, not it's, it's, it's an issue because, you know, you, you, I'd say take June, for example, would have gone to the park most days after after crash um, because the weather was great. And in July, that's not really been possible. Um, so then it becomes finding activities to do at home. And there's lots of things you could do at home, I suppose. But inevitably, you know, it goes back to, well, you just throw on the TV for an hour and, and mm. whatever. Um, so, so it is. It is a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, you know, I dread to think what it's like for for parents with more than one young child, as as I have. Um, and I, I'm not surprised that there's been an increase in in calls to parent line because I think a lot of parents do struggle to kind of get through the summer, particularly when the weather's not as good. I mean, even like summer camps, for example. Uh, a lot of those are, are outdoors and if, if the weather's bad the summer camps are cancelled. But And so, summer camps are expensive as well and, and a lot of summer yeah. camps only run until you know 12 o'clock in the day or 2 yeah. o'clock in the day so you, and, and, and you know it's not, not always easy for parents to get a place for their child in a summer camp. Now mm. I will say you know I suppose not everything has to be structured and you know I suppose kids are allowed to lie on the ground and be bored for a while <laughs> um, you know without you know suddenly you, without a big schedule of events for the day but you know it definitely is an endurance test when the weather like this. I mean, at least when the weather is good, parents can bring their kids for a walk or they can, you know, go for, go for a picnic or, you know, and, and that sounds very, you know, very easy to do. But, you know, you can't do that when the weather is like this. But there is some good advice on your website and I know you're also looking for volunteers at the moment. So parentline.ie, if anyone's interested, maybe take a look at that. And we would love more volunteers. Hugh, you've heard it here first <laughs> now. If you're doing nothing for the next two weeks, you can log on. Um, <laughs> Hugh, you spotted a story in the just to complete yeah. the misery this day, you spotted a story <laughs> in the Sunday Times this week. Chippers lose sizzle as children turn away from family business. What's this all about? Yeah, well, it's it's basically about the decline of the traditional chipper, um, which, you know, I think for, for people of a certain age, the idea of, of going to the chipper maybe on a Friday or a Saturday and, and putting your order in and then maybe even sneaking for a pint between uh, the time you have to wait and, and picking it up. Um, but increasingly, the proliferation of, of takeaway apps and stuff um, has has uh, been bad for business for chippers. Uh, so there's various chippers quoted in in the Sunday Times piece, but they're also kind of making the point that people are turning away from the chippers because they're kind of un- they're so unhealthy or, or perceived to be so unhealthy. I mean, let's be honest, they're not they're not very healthy, but they're very tasty. Um, so there's one chipper quoted uh, there, or the owner of one chipper saying that their sales of of sourdough and focaccia have outstripped their sales of of, of chips, which I just fa- find. 
astonishing, but they've, they feel they've had to diversify because of people's choices changing. Um, but it's a sad thing to see, I, I think. It is. But I think actually, we, we, and the piece also went on to say that, you know, I think chippers are generally the family run mm. and it's, it's difficult for family run chippers. It's a generational thing that, yeah. you know, the kids may not necessarily want to take over the mm. running of a chipper because, you know, there, there was a, a there was one of the chipper owners there quoted and saying, you know, it's, it's a six, six day a week thing, 10 hours a day. Yeah. So it's not something that, you know, every 20 year old wants to to or, you know, every, every child wants to take over. So, you know, that that's also attributing to the decline. And, and you know, and you mentioned there about the, the online deliveries. I hadn't realised it, but, you know, when when, you, when these shippers sign up to, for, to a delivery app, it's, it can be between 10 and, and 25% commission charges that they yeah, pay to the, the delivery app. Problem, yeah. So obviously so that's taking... Tighter, yeah, so the yeah. margin is tough on them as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those summer stories again. Like, I mean, you go away for a day, you get a chipper on the way home, mm. you eat it in the car, that smell yeah. of salt and vinegar... What's your preference if you if you were to go to a chipper now after uh, the show? What would you be going for? Well, I mean, chips with lots of salt and vinegar, and I'm then maybe starving a, now. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a chicken burger or something like that. Aileen, I have to say, I love a battered sausage. I know yeah. <laughs> it's probably the worst a, thing you can buy in the chipper, but yeah. a battered sausage and chips with curry sauce on there the was side. A, a chipper around the corner from where I used to live that did a mean chicken fillet burger, so that would be. My preference with loads of chips. Well, that sounds a lot healthier than the battered sausage. I, I, I have well, maybe been. a battered sausage as well if I was feeling. Well, <laughs> I can promise you this: of all the things I thought I'd be talking about today, battered sausages is not one of them. But like, look, it's it's it really is a good story. It's a it's a sign of the times, I suppose, the way we're eating much healthier, and also that delivery issue is one that has changed. I suppose, the way a lot of businesses operate. I'm going to take some texts now um, from some of our listeners. The issue with Minister McEntee's photo op to say Dublin was safe. She was escorted by the Commissioner and Deputy Commissioner. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Dublin City Centre has had issue for, issues for years. I moved to Dublin in 1997 for college and in the media at the time, O'Connell Street was called the most rundown and dangerous major street in Europe. It seems little has changed. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about in 1997. We were having this debate entirely the same. Perhaps if people lived in the city centre's main streets uh, we might move the dial. That's from Owen in Dublin. There's no point in putting more Gardaí on the streets if they're expected to put up with this level of abuse. Uh, unless that changes, it will be difficult to attract more young guards. That's from Elaine. And I think the point that Hugh was making there is also this expectation that guards should have uh, a life where they can buy homes and live near where they work is an important one. Hi, Mandy and panel. I have three dogs and three small boys. I'm praying for sunshine. We're all going stir crazy with the weather. Well, that's from Mags. Mags, get out there while the weather is good. Maybe even visit your chipper. <laughs> well, uh, that's all we have time for uh, in relation to the newspapers today. But my sincere thanks to the panellists, Aileen Hickey, barrister and CEO of Parentline and Hugh O'Connell, deputy political editor at the Irish and Sunday Independent. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.